Sing happy birthday fucking sucks, dude. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Also, we get hit for copyright. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. I thought happy birthday, like, went out of copyright. Oh, did it? I I thought that was like a thing. Maybe. Yeah. Either way, singing happy birthday sucks because everybody's always off key and it's just not good. But I will say happy birthday to you boys. Happy birthday. I can't believe it's been a year since we've been doing this. A whole this. year. It's wild. It's been a really interesting year. It's been a very interesting year. A lot has happened. Yeah. And continues to happen. There's just so much happening. All the time. More and more. People are saying it. Everyone is saying it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, congratulations, uh, fellow uh, compatriots in this podcast yeah. adventure. Yeah, congratulations. I'm really surprised that, I don't know, maybe surprise isn't the right word. When we first started this venture, I didn't really know where it was going to go or how long it was going to last, but I'm um, I'm thrilled with our work over the last year. It's been a great time and um, continues to be a great time. And we'll continue. Here's to another hundred more A years. podcast that lasts a thousand years. <laughs> David's riding the high of our Christian Zionism bonus yeah. episode. You can yeah. check that out on patreon.com slash ironweeds. That is like, we, ju- we literally like just finished recording it. It is, it is so good. It is, it is, I think, one of the best bonus episodes that we've One of the best yet. episodes. Yeah, I can Yeah, care. it was very good. So, you know, little, little is a dollar. You could then like download, like Chris said, like last week, like download everything for, for a dollar, then say, go fuck yourself and cancel. You could do that. You could do that if you wanted to. Shut up. <laughs> but it would hurt our feelings. Yeah. So we got your Q's. We got some A's. Um, we got but, a lot of questions from folks. Pleasantly uh, surprised. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So is, that, is at first we were like, like, what the fuck kind of questions do people want answers from us about? I don't know. I mean, but they listen to us talk about things. All so I guess, sorts of things. Yeah. So some of them are kind of light. Some of them are a little heavier. We're going to try to intersperse them. Uh, the first one we'll start with is actually from Ezra. Um, will we fix anything early enough that we can mitigate climate catastrophe? No. My answer to this continues to be what it was from episode one, which is I am extremely pessimistic about our ability to avert climate catastrophe. For me, it is sort of the existential question that makes all other political movement very difficult. I'm not I'm not super hopeful about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, I'm also, uh, you know, in the. I guess people call it pessimistic realism or whatever, uh, where like if I had to put odds on it, given everything I know about the world and my experience up to this point that we will do anything significant to revert it is like, no, we, we likely won't not intentionally. At least I think there's things that could cause our industrial civilization. That's like 8 billion strong, you know, uh, to not, push us beyond a ecological um, inflection point, but they are also apocalyptic in their own right. So in the sense that like, we're going to elegantly figure out how to avert the worst of climate change. Probably not. There's like some chance we might geoengineer some of the worst elements of climate change, but that may have other side effects that are really, really bad. So, 
you know, I, I don't really put anything past uh, human ingenuity in the sense of figuring out how to like further complicate and like fuck up some stuff that isn't fucked up to like save some other things that is fucked up. Yeah. You know, like, did you guys see that we had this week a settlement with the company Bayer for like uh, $11 billion no. or something mm-hmm. like that? So Bayer acquired the seed giant Monsanto back in, I, I forget what year, but they acquired him for something like $64 billion. And Yeah, that's an enormous merger. Yeah, huge, huge merger. And so Bayer, when they acquired Monsanto, acquired all the lawsuits that were pending for the product Roundup that were linked to cases of cancer. And there was 100,000 lawsuits, or 125,000 of them. And they managed to settle out of court like for something like $11 billion to be distributed to these 100,000 plus suits. Wow. Um, And they will not put a carcinogenic label on their product. They will not work with like independent studies to try to prove its uh, uh, vibe. Like they didn't go to court to be like, no, this stuff literally isn't cancerous and we can prove it. Like they settled out of court and they're like, all right, now we're going to continue to sell the stuff without a, um, any sort of warning that says what it actually yeah, yeah, does, without, which it fucking kills people. Yeah, and causes cancer. Yeah. Um, and that we're just going to allow for this to happen, which is like a huge deal because we bioengineer our corn to be roundup ready so that we can douse like gazillions of acres of uh our country with this chemical which is like once again by all uh, uh likelihood a carcinogen uh that just like gets into our groundwater and everything else and so the issue is like we as long as humankind operates under the profit motive we will despoil the earth to the point where we will fuck it up beyond our capability to like control how fucked up it gets and the whole permafrost uh methane time bomb is like very likely as bad as everyone says it is yeah all Um, kinds of fun diseases that will come out of the permafrost melt so it's like the whole thing i think uh is better to be avoided but the to avoid it we would somehow need to have like a global proletarian revolution along the tenets of ecological stewardship above all else yeah and like so get on it yeah so hopefully that happens but like i I, it's very hard for me to imagine a situation where we do anything outside of something as big of a change as that uh and along those same priorities i don't think you can use the mechanisms of the market to properly motivate ecologically sound behavior in an expansionist capitalism like it just can't happen yeah Yeah, i i think the the closest thing will realistically get to like a positive scenario is that like all the stochastic events caused by climate change that can't you know you can't like go to any one thing and be like that is climate change right that's sort of the nature of the of the problem you know like just hopefully the the order of those events set out such that the reactions to them to mitigate them or you know like save life like also get at the root of the problem like almost on accident that seems to be like the uh, like what I think is like the most realistic best case scenario. Yeah. Shelley writes, I would like to know everyone's favorite desserts. I think it's got to be cheesecake. Cheesecake is good. But also key lime pie. It's custard pie. Custards yeah, are custards, generally good, yeah. Just, I'm a custard man. When I was a kid, I I thought my favorite uh well, it was my favorite dessert was cheesecake. Um uh, but I didn't recognize that even then I had the 
uh, digestive problems associated with lactose intolerance. Oh, dear. Um, and so now I sort of steer clear of a lot of cheesecake. But it hurts so good. <laughs> so Sometimes good. love don't feel like it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, uh, I would have to say now fruit pies. I really, I know it's controversial take in 2020, but, um, I think that cooked fruit and the, um, the remnants of that, that cooked fruit, like when it gets all gelatinous and like Mm. really, really sweet, uh, is super good. And that that's like almost cross the board, like with all fruit, like I'll I'll stand with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And when you bake it around a very, uh, light, uh, phyllo dough or, uh, you know, pie pastry of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Then, uh, it's even better. Like the pop tart, the toaster strudel. These are these are uh, all getting at the fruit pie, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a damn good dessert. I, if I'm going to make a dessert, my favorite is cookies because you can't go wrong. It's very little mess. It's easy. It's Simple they're ingredients. Delicious. They're David and I made these cookies mm. with like I saw in the grocery store the Heath Bar crumbles. Oh, and it was over. Love oh. at first sight. Yep. And so it was those and chocolate chips and walnuts. And oh, they are wow. so good. But if it's a special occasion or we're going out to eat, I want something really super rich and decadent. Like either for our for our anniversary, which we cooked dinner at home. Uh, I bought this cheesecake sampler from Price Chopper that had like six different kinds of cheesecakes. In nice. It. And if I'm like at a restaurant, I want like a really rich decadent chocolate cake. Mm. But I'm not going to make that shit. You know how much work that is and how yeah. much cleanup that is? And then, like, we can't... We are two people. We cannot eat a chocolate cake. Yeah. So. I I actually now remember my favorite dessert I've ever had, which was a homemade blue, blueberry bramble I made with my mother probably when I was, like, in third grade, maybe. Oh, and we wow. had, like, these blueberry uh, bushes that uh, were, like, really those, like, it was a good year for blueberries and we ended up making like a blueberry bramble and that thing was very righteous. Very nice. <laughs> that is the most nice. wholesome fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that's adorable. Yeah. Uh, Emily Rose asks, if you had to rename Troy, what would the city now be named and why? Flavortown. Ooh. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Uh, Flavortown. Yeah. I, I like Ilium. Right. Um, yeah. People often refer to us as Ilium. Ilium, of course, being the yeah. uh, Hel- Hellenized name for Troy, right? Uh, it, or was it the other way around? It's the other way around. Yeah. Okay. Ilium being. Oh the no. Air conditioner. Oh no. I don't know. We could name it like Leningrad. <laughs> <laughs> Ho Chi Ho Chi Minh City. <laughs> uh, the. The People's Republic of Collar City. Yeah. Um, I do like Collar City. I, I, I would like to see a resurgence of calling it Collar City. Collar City would be a nice name. I like Cahoes Cah- was called the Spindle City. That sounds cooler to me. Schenectady was the Electric City. That's cool. Electric City is pretty good. Yeah, yeah Electric City is good. We could call ourselves like Funky Town. Oh, yeah. And then, like you know, like whenever anybody hears that song, they're like, oh, did you know about the, the town that renamed itself Funky Town? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, that town's actually pretty cool. It's like a little post-industrial hamlet off of <laughs> Albany or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty funky. Want to take you to Funky Town. Sticking with the upstate theme nick asks as a cuse resident referring to syracuse of course what is your other favorite upstate city uh first of all nick i have some terrible news for you syracuse is not upstate 
I know we've rehashed this on the podcast many times, but upstate is the strip of land that runs along the border with Vermont. Syracuse is in central New York. So that's like west of to us. We call it. Yeah. We call everything west of us the West. <laughs> yeah, it's Western. Well, there's there's Central New York, which is a region between the upstate and Western New York. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, I hate to tell you this, buddy, but you're not upstate. Harsh. But you know, factionalism, New York State factionalism aside, we have to unify uh, against the great Satan, the Sodom and Gomorrah of New York City. Yeah, the whore of Babylon that yeah. is New York City. Um, again. again. Our bonus episode was very Our good. Our bonus episode is quite good. <laughs> um, no, and I'm sorry, Nick, I'm just fucking with you. We really, we should all band together uh, yeah. to defeat the great evil. But um, I don't know, fav- other favorite upstate city. If we are including all of the state of New York, I found Ithaca to be quite uh, adorable. We, yeah. only spent, we only spent a couple of hours there. Hudson, I thought, was a great disappointment, maybe because it had been overhyped, but I did not care for Hudson. Chris, what are your... You know, I wouldn't have said this last year, and I, w- I would have to be pressed to find someplace else, like, um, but I, I have to go with Albany, because uh, seeing them all suddenly uh, fighting back against the cops, battering them some <laughs> revere in my heart yeah, somewhere deep, that. you know? Sure, sure. I don't care for Albany. It's hard to drive in. Yeah. It stresses me out when I have to drive in Albany. I work in Albany, so I guess I have to like it a little bit. No, no, wait, there's no reason. Uh, 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 Nick, it's Syracuse. I love you. No, uh, actually, I've never been to Syracuse. I've never been to Syracuse either. (laughs) Neither have I. um, Neither have I. Yeah, you know, it's all of the West. I've never been West. (laughs) Because it's not upstate. All, all All of your West Coast values. (laughs) <laughs> the west coast of the mohawk river or no is it, it, that runs east west so it would be like the north i don't whatever uh huh i think it'd be cool to like make more connections to cohoes or mm. no you know what green island you go with green island new york yeah they have a there's pu- nothing there yeah there, there's one thing that's there and what? that is a publicly owned high uh hydro power plant okay oh it's the that's pretty only cool. place in the in i think the entire state that is not Sur- uh, outside New York City that is not serviced by uh, National Grid. and It, it is d- a small, yeah. municipally owned uh, electrical power grid. That's pretty cool. And so, as a guinea pig, uh, t- you know, a patron of that uh, type of uh, electrical configuration, I have to say that, one, it's the cheapest electricity in the country, yep. as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. uh, and two, uh, it goes down a lot. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it's not like t- tied in really yeah. with like a lot of the other. That's kind of uh, worth it to me, though. Like, I don't yeah. really mind when the. I mean, I, I'm sure it would be different if I had like children or I had you know like like small creatures that I was responsible for, other than my cats, which do not care about electricity at all. Um, but I think that could be a, a reasonable trade off for like really cheap, really renewable energy. Yeah, if, especially like, if you had backup. Especially if you right. had backup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a great question from Mitch. Uh, how do you think your own political perspective or analysis has changed since you started the show? What do you feel like you have more or less clarity on? Have any political differences between the hosts been made more apparent or smoothed out? Ooh, That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I think that I have much greater tolerance for Chris's optimism and anarchism. <laughs> um, 
because I used to, it used to be very difficult for me to understand a, how you could be hopeful about anything and b how you could have enough faith in the masses that they would spontaneously build a just society. And I think that I have not come around on either of those points, but I definitely see, um, I'm much more enamored to it. And I think that Chris's presence in my life probably more so than most people has really shifted my political perspectives and made me feel like just happier. Um, Like I like talking politics with Chris more than almost anybody else on the earth because he makes me feel much less pessimistic. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you guys so much. That's that's, yeah. And I guess I'll add to my point. Another facet of that question, Mitch, is that um, I have, I have less hope in change via government. Thanks a lot, based Bernie. Um, And more hope in change coming from the people. A lot of that is the interplay of the Bernie Sanders campaign, nosediving, and these recent protest movements that really does make me feel like, you know, a lit match can start something meaningful. And so I think, yeah, the where I place my hope in change for humanity has has really shifted from kind of the institutions to the sort of chaotic, generative energy of people in the streets. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I've gotten a, a little bit more centralized in my, in my, th- in my, politics like i think i i i as, opp- I as opposed to decentralized yeah 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 i think i think i actually moved in the in the opposite direction from you Brittany. uh but um, i'm still a ml for yeah. life baby don't get me wrong <laughs> um but uh i think i am also though i i think i've tweeted this before but like or, or maybe even just said it on the podcast in the past but like i am actually very grateful for how much clearer my political allies and comrades but also enemies are now Mm. i feel like everything is just so much clearer yeah and in stark terms and some people call that division or divisiveness or whatever but i just see it as clarity and Mm -hmm. i i like it oh i I, think that's i totally agree with that i I really appreciate it know your enemy baby. yeah i want to know my enemy i want to know like exactly like what what will turn you out and what will you know like make you care about things will make you cry what you know what what makes you angry or happy and i feel like everything makes me cry (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it's just so much clearer now and um and i'm grateful for that more than anything i don't i don't i don't bemoan it i don't think we need to get back to a time of civility uh because that civility just papered over like just grave injustices so I, i i i like that hell yeah yeah, I want to echo the sense of clarity that the last year has really brought to a lot of feelings. Like, also humility. Like, I think sure. the, mm-hmm. I think that you know, God, how many hours have we talked together? Like, and broadcasted, you know, probably like the, five a week at minimum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot, and uh, yeah, just you know, thinking about just <laughs> what could be and what should be is still on my mind as it was when we first began this um, uh, podcast. Like I'm still a utopian. I'm still somebody who believes that the work of figuring out how, if we can build a heaven on earth or how we go about like otherwise taking care of one another and like really guaranteeing well-being to all, which like, Brittany, I got to reach out to you and just thank you so much for putting together that audiobook. 
Like that audiobook fucking rules. Thank you. you know? I'm really and glad people are liking it. Like I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it. Available for at least a dollar on Patreon.com slash Iron Yeah, we're just like yeah, listen to our episodes. I mean the entire thing is out I mean, there it's for all, free. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, all, it's out there all out there for free. For free. Um and uh yeah, I don't know, check LimeWire, check uh, your share bear. <laughs> LimeWire yeah, ch- wow. check your Napster Man, your that Napsters. Takes me back, your baby. uh your yeah. Uh, God, I can't tell you how pissed off I was when I download a whole Sublime album <laughs> only for the last song to be cut off at the very end. But yeah, just that book had a big impact on me because I had never actually read it before. Uh, I, like, I actually listened to an audiobook version of it right before you did yours. Mm-hmm. Yours is way better, I gotta well, say. Thank you. Uh, and I paid money for that one. Uh, but like, I, it felt like a book I should have read years ago which helps a lot because the 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 work of building the society that we want and feel we deserve is only going to be done by regular people who are going to benefit it in equal you know measure, uh, measure with everyone else yeah like that will not be done by powerful institutions or people who are rich it will be fought in fact by all that like exists in the current status quo to keep it from happening and that it is you might even call that the international proletariat yeah so but yeah like i think that it's 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 inevitable i really do which is to say either there will be some type of collapse event which will create a new opportunity for people to organize the economy of a society on better terms for each other in the ecologies that they live and off of and are a part of, or we will eventually have some type of global class consciousness to the point where we all realize it's in everyone's best interest to work together and like use the means of production we've built as a species to like take care of one another. All, all, all will be for all, but what is in question is how much of either of those alls there will be. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> how yes. much is left. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Of either it, people or things. Yeah. It, it, but, but at the same time, I said it, that, or, that I felt a lot of humility and that's that I understand how much of a Herculean task that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that it will be done. And the question is just like, how can I be in a effort of accelerating its birth than a deterrent from it? becoming created in the first place like mm-hmm. that's sort of my i have an eschatological you know worldview that like eventually we actually will overthrow the the rule of property law for the benefit of capitalists like i think that that can and will be done eventually mm-hmm. hell yeah but like i'm very humbled by how incredibly difficult that will be a lot and, of shit to do and the more that i learn the more i know i don't know and i am discovering how much of a global village idiot i am <laughs> on the daily uh which is very once again humbling and like uh yeah it's, it's been a dope year though what do you do you guys want to do a fun one or a serious one next Let's do a fun one. All right. We got two fuck, Mary kills. You want to do those? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, so the first one is for uh, real heads of Troy, New York um, and Capital District broadly. This is from Dan. Uh, fuck, Mary kill. Kevin, Steve, or Vic? Who oh boy. Uh, I am going to... I'm yeah, that's, gonna, a, that's a hard one. I'm going to fuck Kevin, Mary, Vic, and the other thing with the parody satire, Steve. <laughs> Um, because (sighs) Kevin McCashin might be more tolerable if he just gets a good one 
Just gets, you think you could change gets him? Gets his dick wet. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Vic seems like he's got enough money to pay good alimony once we inevitably get divorced. So you know, my future ex-husband can build my uh, retirement with his uh, Troy restaurant empire. And Steve McLaughlin, there's just no saving that motherfucker. Yeah. Okay. So I, mine would be. Um, fuck Vic, marry Steve, kill Kevin. Really? Yeah. 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 I'm going with David on this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Vic is the most attractive of right. the three. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So that, that, that one with, with, with Vic and also like, I could probably like extort something out of him. He's like, I don't want like half of like the blood money of his empire, but like I, I, you know, it'd be cool to like get like a really nice bottle of wine. But you're going to be married to Steve McLaughlin. So here's the thing about Steve McLaughlin, right? He seems very steerable. You know, mm. you just like, you know, you just like, uh, <laughs> You know, just like Trump, you know, you like you say, man, you're so smart. Of course, you think that, you know, we should uh, um, get rid of the 287G agreement because, you know, you're you're more powerful than Sheriff Russo and, and so much smarter. And you understand why that's a bad idea. And then you would do it. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know. know. If I buy that. <laughs> but he does. I will say one pro in his uh, in his column for Mary is that he seems like a real workaholic. So you probably wouldn't have to deal with him a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, and the, and like, I've just allegedly had fantasies about that last one. <laughs> Satire parody. <laughs> Unactionable. Um, all right. And then we get the same question. Okay. But- yeah. Um, so we have the same question from Ryan and this is a fuck, Mary kill Jared Kushner, Don Jr. And Ben Shapiro, which is, Hey, hello, Satan. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, You didn't even give us one good one. Yeah. Um, I'm going to fuck Jared, marry Ben Shapiro, and parody satire Don Jr. Yeah, I think I agree with Brittany on that one. And this is my my only explanation of it, is that I want to cuckold Ben Shapiro with his sister. That's unfair because you stole that from me, but I'll allow it. Oh, I did? When well, did I said it? I said I could cuck the shit out of Ben Shapiro earlier, but oh, that's fine. Oh, right. Yeah, that's you fine. did. Yeah. I, mean, but, but also, I made it very specific. With, yes, that's true. With, with his, his bimbified sister. Yeah. The other thing is uh, Ben Shapiro wants a trad wife, and I would be a really good trad wife. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would be very good at it. I'd be making cookies. I keep shit clean. You know. It's true. Yeah, I, I think there's Iron Reed's consensus on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Don Jr. Reason. is just so disgusting. Like, he, yeah. I find him so revolting that he makes my skin crawl that I just can't. It Really, it could have been practically anybody. If Don Jr. was in the mix, he would be neither fucked nor married. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would also, like, really love to Um, Let's just continue this also from Ryan. And this is a, a more... more uh, uh, serious question. Um, have you had a chance to see any proposed plans for post-police communities? What systems and funding might look like in any U.S. cities headed in that direction? And if so, what do you think? If you haven't, what do you think that would look like besides vigilante dog rescue? So, Vigilante dog rescue, of course, was the runner-up to the name of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So um, it's not too late. (laughs) There are there are lots of good thinkers on the question of police abolition. Actually, Ruth Wilson Gilmore was on a two part 
uh, episode on Intercepted, which is the podcast for The Intercept. I highly recommend people go check that out. And, you know, Angela Davis, who was actually on Democracy Now! recently, has written a ton of great stuff. Um, I have yet to see, like, what any of us might consider a solid proposal for the kind of material conditions of a city without police. Yeah. Like That's just om- not something that like exists an, right now. An omnibus police al- abolition bill. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It would be the creation of people who do a lot of the work that has been handed over to the carceral state, like more and more things from guidance counselors to, uh, you know, just like helping people with mental illness has just fallen into the purview of the work of police and policing. Um, this goes along with the just, you know, rising budgets and sort of uh, continuously growing extent to which the um, both surveillance and, and military arm of the state like has involvement in people's lives. Um, so the thing that I would have to say on this is that you have to cr- think about a way of creating and managing those jobs like an entity that handles that economic uh, work that is fundamentally different in any type of important ways from the police, like whether it's that they're unarmed or that they, you know, just aren't there to control explicitly a surplus population through violence, you know, like, but the work from calling somebody when your neighbor uh, is beating his wife or his kid or something like that. Like, I know a lot of people don't want to just be vigilantes and like go and take that up and do that or form some type of like safety posse with their neighbors or whatever. And so you'd have to have alternatives to resolving that situation. And I think that it's going to come like more in the form of like social work. Those are the stickiest situations, I think, is the cases where violence is happening. Because I I spent a lot of time thinking about this question, um, because I think it's a really compelling one. And I think the way that we understand what a city, let's just say, okay, let's, let's condense this question into what does a city without police look like? And I think to get to that place, you have to start with a couple of, you have to answer that question with some questions. Okay, so the first one is like, let's say, do police prevent crimes? No. By and large, they don't. Um, does incarceration, which is the work of police, getting people out, getting criminals off the street, you know, so does incarcerating people prevent crimes? Given the recidivism rates uh, for incarcerated people, I'm going to say no. So what prevents crime? It's a robust social safety net. Um, let's think about what crimes people are going to jail for right now. Okay, so they're going to jail for selling or doing drugs. Okay, well, we don't, that doesn't need to be a crime. That doesn't need to be something punishable with incarceration, first of all, because incarceration doesn't solve the cause for people, you know, abusing substances. And or, second, or that's selling a, them. Or selling them. Um, and that's a public health crisis. So yeah. that needs to be dealt with through the public health system. Um, okay, you've got people drunk driving. Well, that's that should be a crime, right? That should I think we should all agree that you shouldn't be allowed to drug drive. Maybe you should be punished if you do it. But what can prevent drug driving? A robust public health tra- public transportation system. People, you know, if we had a really good bus system that ran all the time, people wouldn't feel like they need to drive home from the bar. And so then, so you just kind of whittle down all of those crimes and say, okay, well, first of all, like 90% of the shit that's illegal right now, there's no reason for it to be illegal. What we need is, is you know, social ne- social safety networks to deal with those problems before they occur or after they occur for, you know, restorative justice, that kind of thing. And then you're left with violence. 
And that is the hardest question to solve in a post-police society. I would like a model that's something like a neighborhood-based rotating duties of people in the neighborhood to the one thing that cops do that actually does reduce crime, according to studies, is beat cops. People on the street walking around dealing with things as they happen. Which is a little bit different than sitting in your cruiser, letting it idle, uh, surfing Pornhub. Yeah, it's a little bit different different than what cops do now. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I think, that that last little bit that is truly the only thing that what we think of as police right now are needed for can be dealt with by, I mean, call them vigilantes if you want to. I tend to think of them more as like democratically either elected or appointed community members whose job is, you know, you for one week, you're the designated public safety officer and you walk around and you see if people are having conflicts and you help deal. You do, you know, de-escalation and conflict resolution. And then you don't need guns and nightsticks and tasers and pepper spray and all of this shit because you're a member who's embedded in the community and everybody knows you and you won't have to do this job forever. And if you're asking the question, like, would you know, de-escalation and conflict resolution training be like necessary for people to do that type of job, it'd be like, yeah, right? Like, of course. And so then it becomes a thing of like, well, if we're going to have compulsory education, like why is it that not a significant portion of the day is like th- addressed t- toward the actual useful education of like conflict mediation and right. like figuring yeah. out how to like get along seems, as human beings. Seems and, a lot more helpful than, you know, like learning... F- fucking for real Shakespeare. Like to be honest, I'll go there and say, like you know, Ooh, hot take. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> I took. I, I was don't a, care about Shakespeare. I would care about like learning how to deal with my neighbors a little bit. Better. I was a student counselor in middle school, and I took a class on conflict resolution, and it was incredibly useful to my development as a person. I wish that everybody had to take a class on conflict resolution. Because it's such an important part of being a human being. Like, we're social creatures. We Pays have conflicts. We have, diff- we have, you know, so. David, I know you had a bunch of thoughts on this as well that I want to. So, yeah, I guess like, well, first, you know, I think we're really getting at the heart of that, which is heart of this, which is this question is actually two questions, right? There, There is what happens while police still exist. What are the alternatives to the prison industrial complex while it is still around? Like right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like right now. And then what do you do once the prison industrial complex and its attendant police forces have been abolished? Right. And so in the first case, right, this first question of what do you do as an alternative to police while they still exist, or even if like you abolish it in one geographic region, right, that the, the, because the cops are a arm of capital, right? Capital can't abhors a vacuum and cannot let there be any other alternative. So usually, if you eliminate it in one place, it's going to creep back in, right? It's going to try to fill that void. So it's really hard to get rid of it in just one place. It, nearly impossible. There's going to be forces that try to bring it back into existence, right? You know, and then there is while police still exist, there is like stuff called like transformative justice. And uh, shout out to um, friend of the show Karma, who uh, you know we had 
on a, a weeks ago um, talking about pandemics. Weeks ago? Months ago. Months ago, <laughs> yeah. You know, years ago, decades ago, whatever. Probably less than 10 weeks ago. <laughs> you know, we, and we were talking to her about pandemics. She, was, she introduced me to this um, book put out by AK Press. I think it might still be available as an ebook for only $2 called um, Beyond Survival. It's an edited volume. And I don't know if I, if I wholly recommend it. I've, I haven't read the whole thing. And, it, you know, it's an edited volume. So each chapter is by someone else. But the, probably the the best part was a chapter um, with as an interview with Mariam Kaba. She's largely known as a uh, prison culture on Twitter. And she says something really important that transformative justice, which is usually, you know, like getting people together as a community to deal with some sort of really bad social problem, like a known rapist in the community or something like that, right? You, you, or you mobilize the community to address the problem, help the survivor or the victim, and uh, have some sort of repercussion, which is different from punishment to the person that perpetrated it, right? And she says very explicitly that all of this is not an antidote or a replacement for the prison industrial complex. It's not. It, it, it can't be. Because these are things that we build to just function under a system that is marked by or defined by disposing people, right? This disposable person culture. So, you know, I think it's really important that we figure out what this, the role of this first question, right? The role of like, how do we deal with each other while we're still under a police state? Mm -hmm. And all the stuff that we do to try to avoid calling the cops is exceptionally good. And we should do that and like learn all the different ways to deal with problems that don't involve calling the cops. But ultimately, I think we we do have to keep an eye on and always realize and think about that. um, The reason that the cops exist is that like they are a professionalized sounds like they know what they're doing and they don't right but they, they <laughs> right but they we they're sort of like death eaters in the sense that you know like we have we are in this thoroughly modernized urban culture where we offload problems to experts right and so mm-hmm. if you're if you're sick you go to a doctor that spent years becoming a doctor right you go if you have uh, some sort of dispute you go to a lawyer because they have spent years learning how to be a lawyer right and then when you have like some sort of like very acute disagreement or or some violence happens you give it to the cops right and it's this absolutely broken terrible system right and and it's only when we reverse that entire process where we start to learn to become full humans and we live in uh, actual thriving loving communities that the that the police become obviated they're they're no, they you wouldn't go to them because like why the hell would you do that in the first place right and that is ultimately what abolishes the police is uh is stop being so alienated from each other mm-hmm. and, and 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 it is possible to become unalienated with a you know a group of people around you right you can become a community and then that way you can avoid the police but it's not an, an abol- it's not in and of itself like a uh, an antidote or an abolition of of the police mm-hmm. yeah and the last thing that i would add to that is and this is much harder to speak to. I don't think that any of us really wants to deal with it as a problem, but it is the crucial problem that presents itself everywhere on the left, no matter what you're trying to address, which is that capitalism requires police. Private property requires an armed force to protect that property. Um, You cannot have a capitalist system without a police force. You just can't. You have to have an armed section of the state of government to protect capital from those who would strip it of its riches. And so, you know, it sucks to say it, but 
They showed As up at the same things, time. Yeah, <laughs> they know? showed up at the same. There's that's not an accident. Yeah. It's not a historical accident. It's not a historical accident that you know uh, the first police patrols in the United States were going after escaped slaves because slaves were capital, and the loss of capital hurt the owners of capital and the owners of slaves. And so, if the left is going to have any teeth and any movement and any efficacy in the world, we can't just sit like chalk everything up to, well, we can't deal with that till we get rid of capitalism, right? Because that's not sustainable. And, and like this system of production, this mode of production that we're also deeply entrenched in is not going anywhere anytime soon. In the meantime, all we can do are these piecemeal things, figuring out how to deal with our problems without relying on the police and hope that we can chip all of this away brick by brick until eventually we live in the anarcho-communist utopia that all of us pray for. And there's stuff we can do to just make life more precious. Because where life is precious, life is precious. That was something that Ruth Wilson Gilmore said that like rang really, really true with me. And yeah. I was like, now that is often like correlated with consumption, like rates, so, like GDP and the industrial economy and stuff where, you know, people's life is worth more, right? In the sense that like for if you kill someone, you know, the recompense is much more than countries that don't have lots of money, right? But like it has everything to do with our culture and our human to human understanding and feeling with each other, which you can do without money. Like we can as you know, the, the people who don't own the means of production by which all of our lives depend on, we can make life more precious, like within our communities and within our, our own lives, uh, through all types of ways, just being really nice to people. You know, it's like, it sounds really corny and cliche, but like if everybody just was really, really nicer to people, like that would change things like a lot. It wouldn't take yeah. away capitalism or like the levels of exploitation, et cetera. But it'd probably be like a lot of uh, landlords would be like, yeah, you know, don't worry about rent this month. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Because like we're in a pandemic and 20 million people, you know, instead of like gearing up for the eviction courts, you know? Oh God, it's going to be fucking nightmarish. It's yeah. going to be nightmarish. Yeah, it's and, coming. Yeah, yeah. And like this shit can't hold. Like, nope. it's going to fall under its own pretenses. Um, that falcon cannot hear the fucking falconer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This question is specifically for Chris. And I think it's kind of mean, Cadme, for <laughs> asking the one anarchist. Well, I mean, I guess, I don't know. David's uh, whatever know. he is. Yeah. But you asked, like, yeah. you asked, like, the most anarchisty anarchist on the pod this question Chris, in your opinion, what are the top 10 greatest things Stalin ever did? Oh, my God. All right. So prepare for your cancellation, friend. Yeah, no, I'm pretty. It is, it is inevitable at I, this point. Let's yeah. all get the like the late show music playing like <laughs> number 10. <laughs> OK, so take everything I'm about to say with a total grain of salt. I am not educated at all about the Russian Revolution, uh, Stalin, Lenin. Um, in fact, I'm pretty unlettered and uneducated about most world history when it comes down to any level of detail and like the ability to form like strong opinions or like even nuanced ones about like great men, quote, I'm using scare quotes here of history. So I did some research this week because being asked this and really not even being able to think of one, uh, I was like, well, I actually don't know anything about this. So I started listening to a couple of podcasts and I read the Wikipedia page on Joseph Stalin. So what I've taken away from that is that Stalin was a monster and he did <laughs> a lot of monstrous shit that I can't co-sign at all, um, including... All right, your cancellation is canceled now. <laughs> Good caveat. Uh, so... 
I just have to go into like some of the peculiarities and things that I like sort of admired and thought were pretty interesting. And, you know, I think we're largely good, but I don't know. Some of them are a little problematic, I'm sure. Um, all right. So at number 10, this dude survived his childhood. So he was born to a father that had lost two children or uh, with like a previous uh, lover, I think, or something. But he had like two uh, brothers, I think, that died like before they reached uh, maturity. As was the style of the time. (laughs) Yeah. You know what else was the style of the time? Once a year, and I mean, this probably happened in smaller bouts throughout, but once a year they had a party where they all get drunk, including children, and fist fight in the streets together. Rules. Russians are so cool. Yeah. Georgians Georgians. at at this time, I think. I think he was in Georgia. Slavic Um, peoples are really... (laughs) fantastic i love them but ever since he was like a kid he was like way different and like his community like really looked out for him and like vouched for him and like threw in money because like his mom he was born originally to a cobbler a guy that made shoes and he was doing pretty well for for a time compared to like other you know merchants and uh craftsmen but then the economy turned and he like lost everything uh became an alcoholic because of the loss of his sons and was very violent his wife ended up taking on the violence that he put on her and, and put it on young Stalin. As so often happens. Yeah. Um, and uh, whose nickname is Soso. And so he went to a seminary and like he, his tuition was being paid by like all these people in the community that saw some, you know, glint of future in his eyes. And he had this thing though, where he was constantly getting in fights. Like, literally every day. So, he'd have, like, the nice clothes that they, like, bought for him that were, like, very stylish. And then he'd change into his fighting clothes. <laughs> and then he'd bloody those up. That's very practical. And then, yeah. and then you know, put put the nice uh, remnants back on when going it. home. It also denotes uh, premeditation. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he had a crazy childhood. He had smallpox. He got hit by multiple carriages and his bones crushed by like carriage wheels. What Jesus the fuck? Yeah, Christ. like apparently they put, used God, to play no like. He was a despot. Yeah, like, fucking achy all the rest of his life. Yeah, <laughs> and he, his mom whooped his ass like hard. Uh, Oof, ouch. Like, Ooh, my bones. He, he was kidnapped multiple times by his father, who otherwise was sort of like a drunk recluse and like would leave the family for long periods of time. And the, the local community had to like put together a posse to drag his drunk father away from his school because he kept trying Jesus to show Christ. up. And this so, is just 10. Number 10 is already pretty impressive. Well, yeah, like, that might, maybe like he, I did he these. He could have just became like, you know, like some schmuck that like, you know, it was the regional manager. Yeah, it could have been my Uncle Jerry. Yeah. Just yeah a drunk, like, sad man. Yeah, yeah. Just like, wow, good on you. You when, survived. One of the things <laughs> is that he was both fearlessly loyal uh, and to his friends and stuff, but if they did, like, turned him a disloyal eye or, like, didn't allow him total dictatorial power over, like, their friendship and, like, playtime, he would, like... He'd done. Yeah, he'd turn other boys on you. He had, like, that gift of gab ca- capability of just, like, being the, the alpha dog and, like, commanding all the other uh, so he's kids. He's an absolute chat, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he, he uh, yeah, survived small dogs, and so he survives. That's number 10. Number nine is that he was an accomplished artist as a child. When he was in seminary, he, he took on acting, singing, opera, I think. He got in uh, to writing poetry, and his poems became Georgian classics. They were published when he was 17. And actually, he ended up using his fame as the poet of these classics in the romantic style as an in with a guy who was uh, on duty at one of the banks that he was going to rob. Uh, and ended up like... <laughs> one of the banks he was going to rob. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he robbed a lot of banks. That, uh, uh, so then uh, I have... Again, no, Chad. Chad, Chad. 
<laughs> so he had a bunch of uh, extreme time in the seminary. And at one point he had a, um, a monk that was one of his teachers use corporal violence uh, when kids would speak in their native tongues, including Georgian. And he got a gang together to confront the monk in his chambers and threaten to murder him. And cool. And if he, unless he stopped allowing, uh, unless he started allowing p- kids to speak their native tongues, he then, uh, let's see, he gave him, he was uh, an autodidact, apparently read like a hundred pages a day and would go down these rabbit holes, which like I can relate to in a lot of ways. Uh, and he has the, the situation w- where he reads this book called Patricide by which the bandit like ma- uh, character is named Koba. So that's what I have for number seven is that, uh, he, uh, named himself Koba because he was like, that's a badass character. I'm that badass character. And he made all his friends call him Koba. <laughs> See, this is why you have to believe in yourself. Yeah. Folks. Yes. It all start t- like it all starts with you. Like you the too whole, can become Stalin. The whole dream board manifesting thing yeah. is like more real than I'd like it to be. Fuck yeah. Dude. Like yeah. It, it, Stalin followed the secret. <laughs> it's too much. So that was number seven. Number six, uh, he ended up like basically leading the Bolshevik like sect of it was like the Russian social Democrats or whatever uh, coalition to become bigger when he published a paper called Marxism and the national question, uh, which basically tried to skirt this line between encouraging ethnic minorities to join the Bolshevik cause uh, advocating for uh, self-determination without advocating them to become autonomous. Like saying like, you should have the ability to like run and govern yourself, but at the same time, like you need to be a part of a greater socialist like cause because like if we don't unite in this cause, like we won't be able to uh, stand up and overthrow the czar and blah, blah, blah. And so that actually was like really influential and got a whole bunch of people and would be referenced later in the development of uh, the USSR as like, you know, something that bound people together. Once again, take this all with a grain of salt. I read Wiki. Um, (laughs) He then became the secret editor of Pravda at age 31, which is pretty crazy. That makes me feel, this makes me feel so unaccomplished. (laughs) Holy shit. Later after the revolution, um, and I think when he was in power, he sent armies and equipment and Soviets to go fight against Franco in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, yeah. So, you know, like very clearly, quickly, early on, um, you know, as a communist aligned uh, communism against fascism uh, militaristically, which was like, I think, uh, important. A good thing. Then he got his entire Politburo, which was like the de facto like statesman that controlled the entire USSR, blackout drunk for like the last three or four years of his life. Like he became so paranoid with all of the purges and all this stuff I'm not mentioning because like he fucking killed everybody. Yeah. Like all these people that were close to him. He starved people. He was he was nasty. He was so nasty. Such a nasty Such man. A nasty nasty man. man. Um, got blood coming out of whatever. But he, he managed <laughs> Other to, people's neck stumps is, yeah, the, yeah, is the whatever. Yeah. So he would basically make all of his trusted compatriots drink with him throughout the day. And like he used the alcohol to like try and break down their inhibitions to like snitch on each other because he was like super paranoid of that and figured that if anyone was drunk enough they'd just say the truth and he's good at getting people to turn on each other there's a a movie called death of stalin if you guys haven't seen it it's very uncharitable to like communism in the ussr and everything but it's quite funny um got steve buscemi in it but yeah they show stalin like making everybody be drunk so that they would tell the truth yeah this went on for years and then these guys 
guys like go home to their wives and make their wives like write down everything that happened at the event so that they would remember what was said and everything yeah it's yeah. fucking hilarious also <laughs> a, a, another buscemi stalin link buscemi also hit by like three cars as a kid no shit Whoa. yeah yeah. Next, Whoa. you're gonna tell me Stalin was a, fi- a volunteer firefighter at 9/11, <laughs> putting out the putting out the fires. No, in the the, the, uh, the um, settlement that Buscemi got for like the last time he got hit by a car was what paid for acting school. Wow. You know who else uh, was famous? God uh, some mysteries. Actor, comedian uh, is Roseanne Barr. And yeah. She got hit as a kid. And I, I it think... It changed her whole personality. That's why her yeah. that's why she's all fucked up. That's why yeah. she's who she is. Traumatic which is brain say, injuries are rough. Trying yeah. to drag Roseanne Barr. Ableist. You're canceled. Gotcha. Yeah. Low-key gross. <laughs> yeah. Low-key. Not a good look. You did a no growth. <laughs> Sorry a about look. that. So yeah, that was number three. And then uh, number two is that like pretty undeniably, uh, he led and transformed the USSR over 30 years into a major global power, massively improving living conditions, literacy, education, life expectancy, and uh, happiness, as far as people could tell, like of the average people within the USSR. There was obviously, like I said, a lot of stuff that I'm not mentioning that was totally fucked up and ridiculous. And like it, in I didn't put this in, in the list, but I thought about it later. One of the biggest things that he did was he like, let the world know what would be required of a socialist system to survive in that place, in that time, with that culture, with the people that were there. And maybe it could have survived if it was way more humane. Who knows? I don't really know. But like the person who rose to that occasion was Stalin. And like he fucking changed the entire 20th century. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like one thing I, I think we, we, you know, yes, Stalin, bad, unequivocal. Yeah. But like from. Very sorry to our tanky listeners. We, yeah. we, we <laughs> apologize for offending well, you. Well, no, well, now you're going to love me again because like going from the most backwards rural European nation to the first space-faring yeah. nation on the planet in 40 years. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. In you only know, 40 years. That is, is so... That's crazy. It is. And this is a point that's been made by smarter people than me, but uh, theorists often say that a big reason why the USSR was as fucked up as it was and why it ultimately failed was because they never went through industrialization. And Marx said, like, capitalism was not just this evil thing that had to be defeated. It was a necessary stage in humanity's development and industrial capitalism was a necessary step because that's where you get a lot of the humanizing. That's where you get a lot of the technological buildup and life gets a little bit more precious. yeah, Yeah. And Russia did not go through industrial capitalism. They essentially went from a like serfdom society to Whatever the USSR was. I mean, a lot of Marxists even today will say the USSR was not socialist. It was not communist. Part of it is because it didn't go through that necessary transformative stage. Yeah, yeah you could say instead, it was like the state was a corporate entity and it yeah. was just like state capitalism. State capitalism. No, uh, no, uh, Stalin said it was socialism. He declared it socialism. <laughs> right, right, and, right. you know, therefore it is. The, the, so what, if that, you do look at what China does, that looks a lot more like a Marxist inflected, like go through capitalism to yeah, get to abs- communism. Yeah, right? absolutely. So guess? given those things i mean you know he had not much to work with i will say that (laughs) the whole concept of socialism within one country was like and is in several examples being enacted and you can see the amount of literal state violence and force 
being put on the people in those countries. Look at Venezuela. You know, it's it's a big deal to be a socialist country in a world dominated by hegemonic capitalism that yeah. has, you know, more weapons than it knows what to do with and needs to constantly make more. But number one, the thing that Stalin accomplished. Coming in at number one, he <laughs> defeated the Nazis. Yeah. He and all yeah. of the people that fought in the Red Army that sacrificed so many millions of lives. Millions and of lives. An entire generation of men just dead. Russia had more civilians and active military die than basically everyone else in the, on the, the allied powers combined. Combined. Yeah. People yeah. think that America defeated the Nazis. Wrong. No. Yeah. The and, USSR defeated the and, Nazis. And, and Stalin did a lot of the organization of trying to figure out how to do that war economy in a way that was constantly shifting like war front. Like yeah. when, when the, uh, Germany invaded, he moved, I think, like the entire industrial factories, like from the south to the, um, the, the, to the west. The, the they west. Moved them out west. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, um, even J- like, and this is not like Stalin apology. JFK said this in his speech that like it is Im- remarkable that the Soviet Union was had everything the equivalent of us losing everything east of the mississippi yeah imagine just like the united states like hitler demolishing every city east of the mississippi yeah that's what happened to russia the soviet union during world war ii and they and then they still beat us to uh space after that so i think what we what the missing ingredient is it's gulags (laughs) (laughs) purges we need a lot of purges Though, I mean, well, actually, no, no, that's, country, that's, that's gonna not, have a lot, lot of purges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well I, per our, the last question we answered, we have, we put more, way more people in prisons than they ever did. And it's not, still not working. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the thing is <laughs> that like it, Stalin was monstrous, but because was the type of monster he Bush? was yeah, is yeah. different from our monsters, yeah. we tend to think of it as uniquely horrible. Like, just because we do horrible shit through, like, soft power and through, like, more complicated bureaucratic modes, we don't see our monstrosity as easily as we see Stalin's. And... You know, that's, 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 just gotta look at and every... also sometimes history needs monsters. Like yeah. there are times for monsters and I don't like none of this is Stalin apologia again, but like, no, I understand. you know, yeah. it's, but also like, you know, like how many Ukrainians died from starvation under Stalin's policy and then how many like Cubans, Iranians and Venezuelans died because of our uh, yeah. uh, embargoes and, and sanctions, you know? Grim calculus. Yeah. Grim calculus. Grim calculus. Yeah. But anyway, that's our top 10, right? Thank you. Yep, uh, that's great it. Job, I did it. All right. This question comes to us from James. Two Hi. questions, in fact. Hi, James. Hi, James. What up? James married us, by the way. Yeah. Oh, fact. fuck yeah. 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 And not, like I- in a, not like in a polycule, but like he was, he was <laughs> the officiate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Two-parter. What is the best polar seltzer flavor and the best Taco Bell menu item? I thought these were supposed to be fun questions. This is, this <laughs> is these are very fun. fun these I'm are very a, serious. I'm having a really great time. This is very serious. All right. So my favorite polar seltzer flavor is either strawberry margarita or blueberry lemonade. The strawberry margarita is really excellent it's very very good and it's, david's not even a huge strawberry person yeah but it's like creamy it's it's, it's got it's this creaminess to it. very it's fucking so good. fucking good uh the only other one i'd add to that is um also this year's summer flavor like the um the blackberry blackberry tangerine, tangerine i think it is yeah, yeah that one's very good as well it's excellent 
Wow. I actually haven't tried those ones yet, but I'm very partial to the cranberry lime. Cranberry lime's good. Classic. And uh, I like the regular lemon. Classics. You know what else I really like? The vanilla. Really? And the vanilla seltzer mixes really nice because I, I like to mix hard seltzer and flavored seltzer because I am... To double your seltzer experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like a nice way of like making the drinks last so that I don't, yeah. uh, you know, burn out too quick. It also, it, it, you could drink that all day and not get dehydrated. Like, well, that's, yeah, that's huge because it adds water to, it yeah. adds my water intake. But like the truly lemonade seltzers with a little vanilla polar seltzer, mwah, beautiful. Love it. Highly recommend to uh, yeah. any basic bitches out there. Uh, but but I, uh, I should, it should be known. Yes, let it be known. Let it be known that I am an evangelist of getting a 25-pound CO2 tank and a single, well, I have this thing, Drinkmate, uh, which is just, it's like a little plastic uh, pressure vessel that you fill with CO2 and it like, psh, psh, and then you have seltzer. And if you use really cold water, it's like really bubbly and really awesome. And now I've figured out how to refill the thing with like this little adapter that I'm paying like pennies for this thing. And now I have no more empties to deal with at Fucking all. Fucking seltzer for days, folks. It's awesome. It's awesome. Seltzers on seltzers. Yeah, it's really delicious. Oh, and I put lemonade, a little bit of lemonade in uh, my seltzer and mm, it's perfect. Yeah. Best Taco Bell menu item. Taco Bell does not any longer carry my favorite menu item, which was the XXL grilled stuffed burrito. Mine too, when it was there. it fucking sucks that they don't have it anymore. Because it was like massive. It was like like a full meal, just the burrito, and it had all the good shit in it. Talking guac, sour cream, seasoned rice, oh. You could get it it, uh, with uh, bean. Just feel like shit. Want it back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it's a two-part answer. First part, you never forget your first. And my first Taco Bell go-to was, I think it was the number three at the time. It was just three Taco Supremes. I love the Taco Supreme. And I, I would get them soft, and I would replace the beef with bean, with refried bean yeah. from the very beginning. Taco Supremes are great. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was excellent. Because like, I, I grew up with uh, vegetarian parents, so Taco Bell was like the fast food that we would go to because it's really the only place that you can get decent Good vegetarian, vegetarian food, yeah. Taco Bell. Yeah. But now I think I've graduated mostly to uh, to the Chalupa. Mm-hmm. But I also... It's great shell. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just texture like that That must have cost millions of dollars to get right. <laughs> uh, but... Um, the, Food scientists these yeah. days. It, it's incredible. <laughs> incredible. But I, I have to hand it to the, the amazing engine... You know, so honorable mention goes to the amazing engineering prowess of the Dorito Locos Taco. You got oh, those yeah. for quite yeah. some time. That yeah. was your go-to. Uh, it, I mean, it's 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 an impressive thing that I I can't believe uh, hadn't been thought of first because not only is it, you know like duh like it's why not take this chip and turn it into a taco shell, but also Pepsi Yum Food Brands owns all of those properties. Brilliant marketing. So of course you should do that. You and already they've got own... the Baja Blast. Yeah, yeah. So they've really cornered the market on like weird vertical integrating. <laughs> yeah, vertical, yeah, vertically integrating like you know naturally improbable <laughs> food products. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Can we very quickly address the the taco paradox? That is, uh, I could eat max three soft shell tacos, and I'm pretty. Then I'm getting pretty full. Hard shell tacos? 20. Limitless. Yeah. It's practically <laughs> limitless. I know. I don't understand why that is. 
<laughs> I mean, my theory is that hard shells, the shell is thinner and takes up less physical space is than it? the I, soft taco. I think it's like snow where like the lightness and volume of, of snow for the amount of water that's in it is represented by all the air that gets trapped in between okay. little uh, particles. I think that the, the stiffness and the aspect ratio of the hard shell taco with the size of like the grout, the, the beans or whatever else, uh-huh. you know, pieces of um, tomato. I think that it, it it loosely it fills it. Fascinating. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Can these I are crack the, that one. This is un, these are unknowable questions. Truly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's get to Andy. Andy asks, "Am I crazy for still not wanting to go out in public? I'm young and healthy, but cases are up." Uh, no, Andy, you're not crazy. Not crazy I don't want to go out in public. I'm 32 years old, and healthy is a strong word, but I'm not uh, <laughs> in a high risk category. Um, and, and I don't want to go out. Yeah. And Andy lives in LA, which is like now becoming closer to the episode. Andy, stay home. Yeah. You got to be careful, dude. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things about LA that sucks is like how like spread out it all is. But like, that's a blessing and a curse. Actually, I have no idea what life is like to go to the grocery store, for example. But I don't know. I imagine you have to drive and driving in LA sucks. Yeah. But the fact that they don't have like a really, which is tragic right because we'd always want this to be the case a really good public transit system to get everybody around like you know the subway system in 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 new york city has to be like one of the major vectors huge vector huge vector for like the incredible rate at which it took over the city anyway uh yeah be careful dude uh this shit is still very real should stay home as much as possible until there is a vaccine that's my opinion yeah, it sucks, we've been, but, like, that's gotta it be sucks, the case. but, like, we've been doing socially distant hangouts in our backyard, but, like, a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to have a backyard, so fi- try to find a park. I think that people, if they're socializing, it should be in small groups and outside as much as possible. Yeah, Chris yeah. is essentially an honorary member of our pod, like, not our podcast pod, but, like, our social pod of people who we feel comfortable regularly having contact with because we know that we're being all responsible and minimizing our contact. Um, and we have a few other friends who we see semi-regularly, but like, and, and also importantly in New York, we're actually going down and so, we're going uh, down. Yeah. So I'm showing right now a graph that shows the daily change in the nation as a whole, which basically was like sort of a vibrate thing that went down a little bit every month, but now it's suddenly spiked back up. Yep. And this is yeah. uh, New York's. So we're now looking at a thing that went really high early and then had a bunch of uh, a couple spiky things and now is basically tapered down we to almost nothing. The curve. Yeah, um, not only is it flattened, we, we, it's we, like it's almost gone. Like yeah. like the rate at which people are getting new COVID cases in New York City is, and uh, or the whole of New York State is actually really really low. We we flattened the curve, but first we made it go down, whereas the United States flattened the curve at the top <laughs> it's like yeah. it just stayed high yeah. and flat but even in new york state i still if you offered me like tickets to a concert to see my favorite band tomorrow i would not go yeah, yeah. and yeah i i wouldn't eat in a restaurant i just don't think that it's smart and i guess like i'm lucky in that i don't miss those things that much because i was never like a huge social butterfly like i was never really um I just don't miss those things particularly much. And I feel and I feel for people who do, but I still think that Marla's the most beautiful cat in the world. It's I'm true. Sorry, it's Marla. so true, right? She is so pretty. Yeah, I think it's smart to stay home as best you can. And you know, stay yeah, safe, I, folks. Yeah. It's, I mean like I miss it like crazy, but 
you know, like I, I miss going to bars and like just, you know, parties and stuff. Like I miss that a lot, but it's, yeah. I mean like the reason that the curve is down is because we're not doing those things. And once again, that's only New York state. Yeah. The curve is in fact way, 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 way up everywhere yeah. else yeah. In, the, in, in the United States. And, um, that this is horrific, right? Like how many people have died so far? Like it, hundred and globally it's like 500,000 oh yeah yeah and we're like 20% of that even yeah. though we're only 5% of the population yeah. yeah like it it's really messed up we we have a huge percentage of the deaths that could have been avoided and the way to avoid it is to just be courteous just like you know limit your exposure to other people and wear a mask and like that shouldn't be too much to ask yeah, <laughs> yeah. you, you know I, I say that having gone to two protests with thousands of people, right? But the entire time I was there, I had masks on. In fact, I had a respirator not, on for the latter hours. There have been no spikes that are attributable to the protests. Right. So, yeah. And that's because they're outdoors and people are wearing masks. Like, that's literally the trick, you know? Yeah. And if that's the case, then uh, let's spend a lot more time outdoors wearing masks. Because yeah. that would be actually a dope uh, <laughs> look for the summer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Masked up summer. It, it, it is hard to wear a mask when it's hot, though. Like, it, I went to yeah. the stores the other day, and it was re- it was one of those days it was like 92 degrees. And it was very uncomfortable wearing my cotton mask. It, um, it, this would be an interesting time to put together an organized effort to make parks more attractive yeah, and like allow while allowing for social distancing and stuff like figuring out like what we could do to really invest in this time when we basically ought to, if we're going to socialize at all, be doing it in the outdoors at a distance wearing masks or whatever that we could like build some really cool common entertainment spaces for each other like whether it's like you know projecting videos like what what ha- they did in, in chaz chop was interesting right they just had like lawn chairs that were all spaced out watching like documentaries and various other videos we did that stuff. in our backyard a few yeah. weeks ago yeah i think that 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 kind of thing could be cool what's really gonna fucking suck is when it's winter yeah yeah Winter's gonna be rough yeah, um, it's gonna be a hard winter. People are ha- being optimistic right now about uh, having a uh, vaccine by then. We did a wildflower. Yeah, uh, that was uh, I think it was South Korean or I don't remember who it was. Yeah, uh, had developed a promising antibody. So we'll see. Yeah, and but then we've also seen that antibodies don't last very yeah, long. They don't. Yeah, of so, this virus. Yeah. So, you know, the future is really unknowable as it relates to this virus. There's a lot of convoluted and contradictory information coming out in the media about it. But the cases are reported by medical officials, and I trust them. And it's not a lie. And so everything is actually getting a lot worse really quickly as far as the United States is going. And everything we can do to make that better and easier is is good. Yeah, what, one last thing before we leave this question is, uh, you know, Chris, you, you made a really good point about, like, like why isn't this a time where we reinvest in public space a lot? And I, to some degree, we did do that during, like, the Spanish flu. Like, we, we did a... A lot of stuff to build public spaces because, you know, well, we're still like figuring out germ theory, but we just sort of knew, you know, there's good correlation between, yeah. uh, you know, like staying outside and not being sick. It's just another example of like, like our government isn't functioning because like that is clearly something that we should be doing is like in re- heavily investing in public space. And to some degree, it'll be interesting to see what like small uh, local municipal governments do 
because that is also where a lot of public space is built is at that level, but they need the money and a lot of that money gets caught up at federal and state levels. Yeah. Like Troy set up its splash pads down at Riverfront Park, which is cool. And that's a nice place for people to go and, you know, like cool off from the heat and hang out. And, you know, the virus isn't transmittable through water, so it's very safe. Like you're not going to catch it from anybody Highly chlorinated as well. Yeah. Highly chlorinated. But you think of, you know, like, there's a huge thing here about, like, we we used to have these municipal pools that closed down uh, last summer. Last uh, summer? This summer is it, what's it? it was a while ago. I, I think it was, yeah. Was yeah. Okay. We've been poolless for, with this fucking years. Democrat, fucking <laughs> run city council, fucking know nothings, can't do nothings. Can't even fill the fucking potholes, and now you're closing down the pool. Where the fuck's my kid supposed to go? <laughs> fucking 98 degrees out here. But, like, the reason that we, we don't fix them is we don't have the money to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, like, the, and all the money that we give we all our money to, to the cops. Yes, because 30% of our budget goes directly to the yeah. police department. And, and buying memos to get killer cops yes. uh, to stay on the force and then spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to the families in in lawsuits afterward but you know like that but essentially you know like any of those things could be fixed if we had real revenue to fix them but we don't and so we apply to like state and federal grants to get them fixed and those are all competitive and yet ha- those have to be like sexy new cool things it can't just be fixing pools you know yeah. I don't know. There's nothing all, all sexier, cooler, or newer than a yeah. brand new <laughs> in-ground pool where everybody yeah, can public go. Public pool, though. Yeah, yeah no. it's a public yeah. pool. That's it's the whole thing. It's like we gotta build a world where the idea of a public pool, pool is, is sexy, like, yeah. and that people are like, oh, it's gonna be the best pool because yeah. it was built for the public by yeah. the public. It's gonna fucking rule. It's gonna have everything you fucking want. You know, yeah. like that's that's the vision of public infrastructure that we have to have because like. The dream is as real as you make it. It's true. Re- Very true, folks. Read Contested Waters. Last name Wiltsy is a, the author's name. I don't remember his Why first name. Why are always making people read books? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a history of public pools in the Northeast. See, so you thought this was yeah, going to well, be... A, folks, you do not have to read a history of public pools. No, no, like, no, you no, do. You can if you, you want to, but like... You thought this was going to be just a little questionnaire answer uh, No, there's hour. a reading list. Yeah, you have there's homework. Fucking homework. You have homework, <laughs> fucking homework. All right, all right, all right. We're getting to the end here. Uh, Nolan asks, has there been a Star Trek episode? And then the second, which is not a question, do a Star Trek episode. David and I would love to do a Star Trek episode. I will Chris, be along for the ride. Well, I am happy for If we assign you an episode to watch, will you watch it? I will watch several episodes. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All so, right. So, so give me like your top 10. I'll watch 10 episodes. We used to do a Star Trek night that was organized around social themes. Uh-huh. I still have um, that published on my website. Yeah, all the ones that we watch. DavidAbanks.com. Yeah. Um, so you already got the list. Org. Org. An He's an organization. Yeah. <laughs> um, I contain multitudes. And we were going to restart it this year, but COVID. then the Rona came yeah. and fucked up all our plans. But yeah, I think it would be fun to do at least one Star Trek episode. Maybe even do a couple for the bonus feed and a couple for the main feed would be fun. You know, Star Trek is great because across the different um, series, they deal with so many different social questions. And so as all good sci-fi should, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and each series deals with its own kind of set of like moral quandaries and such, you know, in DS nine, you have like, uh, imperialism and colonialism in Voyager, you know, you have kind of like the do no harm ethic and like, what do you do when nobody's watching you? What do you, you know, do you still live by your principles when there aren't necessarily consequences in TNG? You have like this sort of 
Will Wheaton. Liberal <laughs> utopian ethic of like sort of the answer to Reagan America is like yeah. what if you ha- what if there you lived in a bizarro world where Picard is your dad and and you just like care deeply about multicultural liberalism. Yeah. And learning. So yeah, we'll but do But he a- hates kids. Well, who doesn't? I guess a lot of people, but... Okay, and this is our last question. I wanted to save it for last because I think it's a really good question and something we've never talked about on the show. And um, it's a really interesting topic. And this comes uh, from Nathan. Hi, Nathan. I'm so glad you still listen. We miss you. I wish I could see you at Theorizing the Web this year. Nathan asks, when companies or executives make shitty decisions, whether that's Home Depot's co-founder donating to Trump's re-election, to Amazon providing its facial recognition software to police departments, people will often call for customer boycotts. My question for you is, what qualities do you think make for an effective boycott? Or put another way, what is the political economy of boycotting? Two examples that prompted me to ask this were, one, the May Day boycott that coincided with strikes at Amazon, which seemed pretty effective at getting the word out about bad working conditions. And two, Zoom's CEO saying they wouldn't encrypt free accounts because they, quote, want to work together with the FBI and people subsequently urging people to not use Zoom. I have a very specific answer to this. Oh, OK, good. Yeah. So boycotts really only work if you have a discrete demand like a very specific demand like of the person of the organization that you're boycotting you have to say like the boycott will end if you do x and yeah. it has to be very very specific it can't be something like realize black lives or something like that you know or you know like, it has to be like something very physical stop concrete. being bad yeah yeah it can't just be yeah like stop being a bad company right you can't do that so for home depot it could be you know like hire fifty thousand black people with a salary of xyz or something like that if you want it Something like that. And then you can't just ask individual people to do the boycott. You have to get to go to institutions. The reason for that is very simple, right? It's hard to get a bunch of individual people to all do the same thing, but you can have the same impact by convincing like two or three, you know, a handful of organizations to do the same thing. Yeah. So it just, it just makes way more sense to go after institutional buying power, right? And that is uh, what the boycott divestment sanctions strategy of first uh, South Africa and now Israel does right and the, the fossil fuel industry and the fossil fuel industry like, yeah like bill mckibben's like 365 yeah. right is that what it's called yeah thing no that, that, uh, uh 360 360 yeah 360.org 360. yeah. yeah um or like in in these th- in these uh scenarios you go after their stock you go after uh like in the case of bill mckibben's thing three 360 right you go after your university's procurement processes so your uh, and and investment so like your the university's um uh, endowment comes out of you know like they get rid of fossil fuels from their endowment stuff like uh, fossil fuel company stocks right out of their endowment stuff like that right so i think those are the only times that are, that it works you know tell you know telling people on this day don't do don't buy from this one company i don't think does anything well it, well i think it raises awareness of labor problems i don't think that matters well, I, I, I just, I, I, I don't think the well, raising awareness thing. I, I, I don't really. I think it's not nothing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's gonna change life as we know it. I don't think it's gonna bring about the destruction of capitalism. But I think that raising awareness about labor problems is generally good, and it costs us nothing. It costs you absolutely nothing to not buy something from Amazon for yeah. a day. It, it costs it's you- literally all you have to do is not do one thing for one day. 
Yeah, I think that uh, I do uh, agree with Brittany that I think they are a a powerful PR tool for uh, or PR. It's a weaponization uh, by putting people's PR in a defensive stance and that that gets nothing like to your point that does nothing materially to actually change the situation. Right. But I think that the whole question of whether or not it's anything comes down to the fact that like, when there's a material demand that actually brings about a material benefit that only happens on the foundation of a cultural understanding of the importance of that thing, if not like the broader culture, a small group of people. So whether it, it, it uh, you know, that are or- being organizers. Um, so I don't know. Like, I think there's that l- there's literally proof of concept for that too, because if you look at the difference between BDS for apartheid and Israel, there are a couple of major differences. One of them, and, and uh, this, this is, um, you, you mean a uh, difference between South Africa and Israel? Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Okay. South African apartheid and Israeli apartheid. And um, there's a there's an article I read about it that I, I can maybe share in the show notes to this. But um, basically, there were a few really big differences between BDS for South African apartheid and BDS for Israeli apartheid. South African South African economies produced goods that were easily replaceable with other goods, which meant that boycotting them was easy because you could just and also the goods were relative to the rest of the market, not particularly high quality. So you could easily supplement the things that you bought previously from South African companies or distributors with other things. Where am I going to get my emeralds? (laughs) Whereas like with Israel, Israel. Uh, manufacturing is very, very different. And they're especially heavily invested in the tech industry, which means that if you own a piece of technology, there's a very good chance that some teeny tiny part of it, a chip in your phone or, you know, the lens on your camera um, was made in Israel. And you can't boycott all of technology. But what BDS of Israel does do, and this again goes back, like we mentioned in our bonus episode, uh, the, the Al Jazeera four-part documentary series, The Lobby. Patreon.com slash Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) What BDS does do is raise awareness about... Because it's an active campus-based movement, it raises awareness about Israel-Palestine, which makes public opinion, particularly among young people, turn against the tide of, you know, this kind of Israeli-U.S. hegemonic view that, you know, the special relationship, whatever. And so, like, you can't... Unless the unless big institutions decide to divest from Israel, which by and large they're not fucking doing, but BDS is still powerful because it does, you know, change people's minds about it. Rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> I have one one rebuttal. I think Nate's question said material, right? What is the political economy of boycott? Political economy. Okay, yeah. So political economy. I, I thought more material, but no, the the real rebuttal I, I would say is that I, I think the raising awareness particularly in corporate actors behavior whether it be like the example of home depot or amazon right i think that actually reinforces the idea of like good and bad corporate citizenship and like don't go to home depot go to lowe's or something yeah like that. yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. right you know, you know, like or you know boycott walmart go to yeah. target and yeah. like and so like though that i think I, I think it's a little too easy to co-op those moments and like highlight this company as a bad actor and the demand is usually like be like this other company or yeah. something like that whereas with bds in south africa or israel you are pointing to a very specific thing that a state is doing and saying stop that and you can't just like you know in the example that you gave of like you know just get your 
South African emeralds from South America or something, right? You, you, inst- uh, there, the sourcing, I just feel like is, is very different. You know, it's like, it's a very, it's a different thing instead of getting something from a different company. I don't know. I feel like that's, I feel like that, that, that is, um, different to me. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, and, 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 I don't know. and, and I that think... the raising awareness about Israel is different from raising awareness about bad business practices of Home Depot. I don't know. I feel like that's. Yeah, I agree with that. <sighs> but I guess my point is that I actually think the Home Depot example is not as good as the Amazon example. Because it's harder to opt out of Amazon? N- no, because. Because I would argue that. Yeah. Um, it's like if you're using Netflix, you're using Amazon. Amazon yeah, web that's true. Amazon web service. But I guess maybe because I'm thinking that like Amazon has, you know, raised its minimum wage to $15 and, you know, I don't know. I it's mean, pronounced 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to, you know, just do a little bit of pushback because it's like, yeah, I think that this has to do with your analogy when we were talking about the police and there being a, a pre and post stage of like, doing stuff right like in the sense that like yeah all of these big box stores are pretty much equally evil right but the ability to like name and shame and blame is like one of the non-violent methods that people have to spread awareness as well as to get people's reaction i.e like we're living in an attention economy and like if you can make a boycott to show up in someone's feed that's like a piece of information that would not have gotten to them otherwise. That's and fair. it's cumulative. Yeah. 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 The and effects of these cumulative. things, that's, yeah. that's the other the thing that I, point that's the, point. the yeah. point that I, it, things, things, these things are overdetermined. We don't know what causes revolutions. Right. We know that there are, usually it's more factors than we can possibly count. Yeah. And these things are cumulative. And yeah, okay, so you hear like Home Depot... Is bad. It's bad. It's, it's like that, the, it's that's, that's the thing that right. Or it's like, like the police. Like yeah. how many hundreds of individual names and circumstances of the police extrajudicially killing people was it until there began to be you know like people who grew up and saw the Rodney King riots feel differently about police after seeing George Floyd right. and every police killing between them. It's not about like one raising awareness on one specific thing with one specific boycott. It's as you keep these things in the public consciousness, people internalize them. And I think it changes their whole perspective on how this works as a means, a system of means of production. Like, like every boycott is equivalent to like one pop up ad. and so like obviously we look at this like capitalist hellscape and like it's driven largely by pop-up ads yeah yeah no i'm not not saying like these things aren't aren't helpful but i i i i would really love to see more like do we will stop we will boycott until you do this thing i want more specific demands because we also have to get better in general on the left at making demands i, I totally because agree we're, with that. Because we're so yeah. fucking bad at it right, and, fair, uh, yeah fair. instead it's just like uh mcdonald's uh end factory farming and do like, better yeah do better and it's like yes we should end factory farming and mcdonald's should do better but like amazon reached 15 dollars an hour because that was a discrete demand yeah right like there was a 15 dollars an hour movement yeah that they couldn't make and then it would be over or yeah. something like you have to give them someone in the boardroom to like argue about and do the math and then figure out that actually they've organized sufficiently that making this concession costs us less yeah they have forty thousand signatures on change.org and there's their demands that yeah, yeah, know, I, ju- yeah. I just i just feel like that that we yeah, have to start doing that better yeah. and more yeah. i think that's a general the left that's in general we have to narrow our focus we have to come up with concrete 
goals, steps that can be taken right away. Like we, we have this tendency to get mired in, and I actually wanted to mention this earlier with policing. All or nothing thinking. Yeah. And that the problems are so big that really, well, we can only get like, and and we verged on this earlier, like, oh, we can really only get rid of policing if we get rid of capitalism. And it's like, well, that's not practical. And I think that that is the same tendency that we have with lots of other things, which is, and, and that's why I am a little bit uh, that's why I offered the gentle pushback earlier is because, well, you know, raising awareness doesn't do anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does something. It doesn't do enough. And yeah, you're absolutely right. What we have to do is start getting better at concrete proposals that we want enacted and tactics we can employ to get those things enacted. We absolutely do. But we also have to, like, not fall into the... Well, you know, if we can't get McDonald's to stop engaging in we factory well farming, then we might as well just not do anything about factory yeah. farming. And, and also, I think that the ask of like a boycott has a lot to do with the uh, effect and like the severity of the impact of the company and, you know, the likelihood of people to uh, participate, for example. And so I think back to like the Montgomery bus boycott, right? And suddenly all of these people had to literally self-organize to put together like carpools carpools and other ways of fulfilling this basic need which was building a mutual aid society which itself is radicalizing and builds community and it's not it's usually not the thing that grabs the headline right it's it's called the montgomery bus bus boycott it's not called like the mont the montgomery car share car share (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. and those are excellent that's an excellent point right because like the other half of the boycott is replacing the thing that the company did and and that also keeps the company on its toes because like there's an alternative yeah, yeah eventually they're going to find out that they don't need us yeah. yeah right so it makes them run a lot faster that's a good point things are going to manifest in particular ways in particular spots at particular times you know like i think about the uh, abolition of the minneapolis police and like i'm curious what will happen you know like i i just honestly straight up curious I'm a bit cynical about it but... well probably i think yeah. you're you're you have a lot of reason to be yeah uh but you know it's just like hmm okay but i like that we'll they said out. it and i like that that's a possible thing to say yeah. that wasn't possible yeah. even five years yeah, ago but... i mean all right well I think that about if if you sent us a question we didn't get to I tried to compile all of them from the various sources but um if we did like miss your question for whatever just yeah. like just shout out to us and we'll we'll uh try to repair that but thank you so much to all of you who sent us the funny ones the thought provoking ones the chant like we're we I was I personally especially was quite blown away with the volume of questions that we got so yeah we, we were I'll admit we were skeptical. Or, uh, Chris always has Chris, deep, deep as, faith. as always, <laughs> in, he in had humanity total faith. He was like, "No, we're gonna get." A, and yeah. I was like, "Chris, if we say we're gonna do a Q and A, and then we get like two questions, what the fuck are we gonna do?" And then I said, "We'll make our own questions and lie." Yeah, and I said, "I brilliant. do not abide by. <laughs> we are not lying to our listeners. Dear our listener, I pressure. will always lie to you if I think it'll make you feel better." Oh, oh well, I do it if it makes you feel better. <laughs> that haircut looks great, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic! I love you. Did your own bangs? They look wow. so good. They look so good. They do. They do. Yeah. So thanks so much, you guys, for a year. Holy moly! Holy moly! Can't believe it. Hashtag uh, blessed. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. Um. Yeah. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. Ironweeds Pod. You can find us on Instagram. Ironweeds Pod. Shoot us an email at ironweedspod at gmail.com.com. Okay, we love you. Bye-bye. Peace. Patreon.com slash (laughs) ironweed.
拜。<笑>